Thanks for listening to the Toronto Legends Podcast. I am your host, Andrew Applebaum. My guest today is Cameron Bailey, making a triumphant return to the podcast to talk TIFF 2023 and the over 200 films screening between September 7th and the 17th. Cameron is, of course, the longtime CEO of the Toronto International Film Festival, and our city is excited for its 48th edition as one of the world's biggest and most important film festivals. TIFF will again be doing exactly what it does best, accessible, open, public-facing, audience-friendly programming. But there is a plot twist this year, as the ongoing Hollywood writers and actors strike has brought some challenges, and the red carpet may be different than in years past. Welcome back to Toronto Legends, Cameron. Thank you for once again joining me. Where are you and how are you? Andrew, thank you so much for having me again. It's good to be back. Uh, I'm in Toronto in our offices at Tiff Bell Lightbox and uh, looking forward to the festival. Absolutely. And as you gear up, I have to ask, what number Tiff is this for you? And I suppose you should divide that into your years working outside the organization as a film critic and then within the organization, first as a programmer and now as management. So in terms of years that I have worked as part of the TIFF staff, beginning as a seasonal programmer and then as a full-time employee over many years, 26th festival uh, as a member of the TIFF team, and then I would add on at least another four years before I joined the TIFF team. Well, a longtime veteran, and with a festival as huge as this one, you certainly couldn't say it's a case of set it to autopilot and press go. But with all those aforementioned years of Film Fest experience under your belt, I would suggest you would be relaxed, confident, ready for smooth sailing as Tiff approaches. But then, dun, dun, dun. In May, the Writers Guild of America went on strike, followed in July by the American Actors Union, more commonly known as SAG-AFTRA. This labor dispute marks the first time that actors and writers have walked out simultaneously in over 60 years, i.e. the first time in either of our lifetimes, thus very uncharted territory. Lucky you, Cameron. What was your reaction when you learned that this massive strike was actually a reality so close to the start of this year's TIFF? Well, you know, we're in the movie business, so plot twists and a little bit of drama are, comes as no surprise. We were prepared. We, we knew that this kind of thing could happen. We, as you said, we hadn't been through an actor's strike and certainly not an actor's and a writer's strike uh, in decades. Uh, so that was new territory. But for better or worse, we had learned a lot from the pandemic. It was a, These were really tough years, 2020 and 2021, but we found ways of responding quickly, working out what needed to be adjusted. And that's what we did. We essentially put in the protocol that we used during uh, the first days of the pandemic. We met daily. We brought all the key teams together. We gathered as much information as we could, and we made sure that we communicated that information to our various stakeholders, many different partners across the wide spectrum of our audience, our members, uh, partners who support us, all kinds of people to make sure they knew what was going on. And we also began reaching out to film producers, to the distributors and the buyers and sellers of films, uh, and to the the union, the SAG-AFTRA Actors Union in particular, because we needed more detail on what that meant in terms of actors' participation. And over the course of the last few weeks, we've learned a lot. We've learned that they, we actually can have many actors uh, taking part in the festival this year. Uh, the, the limitations really are only on the actors that are uh, in films represented by the major Hollywood studios and streamers, a group called the AMPTP. Uh, they will not be a part of the festival. And then independent films can be a part of the festival if they have something called an interim agreement uh, with the Actors Union, and uh, many of those are getting it. 
So, you know, we know that we've got a great lineup of actors uh, coming to town, um, everyone from Viggo Mortensen and Ethan Hawke to Salma Hayek, who's a producer on a film that we'll have at the festival. Uh, we have uh, Sean Penn and Dakota Johnson in a film and, and many, many others. So uh, that's uh, that's been heartening. It took, I'd say, a few weeks of just uh, working with our various partners to figure all that out. And then, of course, we're an international film festival, so we still have the international talent and the films coming to town. And we know from how ticket sales have been going so far that people are snapping up tickets. They want to see uh, the films that we have in our lineup. Well, this is why you're the boss, Cameron. You got everything under control. It sounds like you had to obviously deal with, get the facts, and they're always changing. You know, the guidelines of what actors can and can't do would be complex. I just covered the uh, Fan Expo recently at the Metro Toronto Convention Centre for this podcast, and the artists and talent there were given a set of 20 different guidelines in the form of an FAQ document. For example, question, what if a fan asked me to sign a poster photo collectible from a struck project what should i do question what if a fan comes to an autograph session dressed as my character from struck work what should i do i just want to ask how difficult it was to navigate the kind of do's and don'ts of ensuring the fans get the celebrity engagement opportunities that that tiff frankly has always been famous for well we had a similar series of questions and this is a case where the details really do matter. So we were able to get on the phone with representatives of SAG after the Actors Union fairly early on. We've been in touch with them since. And they were very helpful in letting us know what those guidelines are. There is a strike on and it'll continue through the festival, we believe. And um, and what that means is uh, the the projects and the companies that are on the other side of the strike SAG after members are really not allowed to be promoting them in any way, uh, but figuring out what that means in practice is really key. So, for instance, you know, when we have actors coming to town who are members of the is the actors union, if uh, the project is not one of the struck projects or from one of the struck companies, they're fine. Um, they can talk about their bodies of work. Uh, in some cases, we have actors uh, or sag after members uh, who are uh, in documentaries, and documentaries are not uh, covered by the same guidelines because uh, those performers are not acting uh, in those films. So um, I didn't know this, but uh, you know some of the musicians that we have in town, whether it be David Byrne from Talking Heads or Paul Simon or Lil Nas X. Um, you know, they might have done on-screen work in the past, which would bring them into the the actors' union. But because they're in documentaries, doesn't apply. Same thing with, with Sylvester Stallone. He's in our closing night gala, Sly, but it's a documentary about his entire body of work, his career. So he'll be here speaking in that capacity. Well, like we say, uncharted waters, but clearly you've done your homework, so you're going to get through these waters. The core issues of the combined strike are tied to changes in the industry caused by streaming and its effect on residuals, as well as the implementation of new technologies like AI, digital recreation. Cameron, in your role as CEO of TIFF, do you get involved in the discourse about the issues related to this labor dispute, or are you better served by simply standing clear, so to speak? Well, our job is, I'd say, neither to get deeply involved nor to stand clear, but it's to provide a platform. We want these ideas, these deb debates to take place at our festival and year-round at Tip Box as well, and, and also online. We're part of this community, this ecosystem. Um, we're not the ones who are making the decisions, certainly not between uh, the Actors' Union and the, the big companies, the Hollywood studios and streamers, but where people have um, 
contributions to that debate. We want to do that. We have an industry conference at the festival, which runs alongside all of the public events. And that's where people really dive in. They dig into these these issues. And they are big, complex issues. They're not something that can be resolved with a soundbite necessarily. So it's important to give people the opportunity to actually speak uh, in some depth about them. And that will happen at the festival this year at the industry conference. Great. Well, let's get right into the good stuff. This is such an audience-driven festival. What can we expect from TIFF? 2023? You know, I think you can expect a festival that's that's building on what we did last year. Last year in 2022 was the first real year since the pandemic uh, struck that we were able to come back fully. So we had Festival Street operating again the first four days of the festival. Uh, several blocks of King Street in downtown Toronto were closed off. We had a massive street fair, lots of people uh, I think we had um, 200,000 plus people uh, on the on the street. Actually, some I'm sorry, no, more than 400,000 people on the street for the uh, the, the festival street fair, plus another over 200,000 in the cinemas uh, watching the movies. Um, and that's what you can expect this year as well. We've got a lineup of films from 74 different countries, uh, ranging from big red carpet galas uh, to short films, experimental films, documentaries. Very strong Canadian lineup this year as well. Some of our own homegrown storytellers, people like Adam Agoyan and Deepa Mehta, who anyone who's been following Canadian film would know over many years, but also as a new crop of of uh, Canadian storytellers as well, uh, and some up and comers like Molly McGlynn uh, and um, and Sasha Lee Henry, who are making new films as well. So. It's a, it's a good uh, lineup of uh, a wide range of projects. We always want to offer something for everyone. If you're interested in film in any way at all, or just stories in any way at all, you're going to find something at the festival this year. Um, tickets have been on sale now for a while. There's still a lot available. There's always you know something gets snapped up right away, but uh, there's always something that you can find that really speaks to you and is going to be you know something that'll that'll meet your interests. It really is a festival for everyone. And Cameron, here's some of the most attention-grabbing films that I would like to ask you for a quick comment on each, if you don't mind. First, Agro Drift. Yeah, so this is the new Harmony Corinne film. Uh, he did uh, Spring Breakers and many other films. He's a guy who pushes boundaries, pushes the limits. This film's playing in our Midnight Madness section. It's using film technology and storytelling in brand new ways. You've never seen a movie like Agro Drift. I can tell you that for sure. Uh, and Harmony is going to be here to present that. So we're, we're very excited about that. My 16-year-old has shown zero interest in the 150 interviews I've done this podcast. But when she heard you're coming on, Cameron, she said, you absolutely have to ask, is Travis Scott coming to the Agro Drift premiere? Uh, I, you know what? I can't say for sure. We hope so, but uh, we know that it, whether he's there or not, it's going to be a fantastic experience. I mean, this is really cutting-edge movie making, so I think you're going to want to be there. Excellent. Good answer. The Boy and the Heron. Oh, this is just a beautiful film uh, by Hayao Miyazaki, the great Japanese filmmaker, one of the legends of filmmaking. I think one of the, the greatest artists who's ever worked in cinema. He works exclusively in animation. He's made films like Spirited Away and Princess Mononoke. And for the younger kids, films like Ponyo uh, and My Neighbor Totoro. This is not a film for young kids, though. This is Hayao Miyazaki evolving as a storyteller, telling a film that is about a boy but that is very much a, a, a film dealing with big themes about loss and how we 
how we figure out who we're going to be in the world. It's got just a staggering visual imagination to it. And you have to remember, Hayao Miyazaki and the filmmakers at Studio Ghibli in Japan, they make films that are handmade. You know, this is not computer animation. Each of the frames, and there's 24 frames every second, the thousands and thousands of frames of these films are handmade. There's a human hand uh, touching the image that that you're seeing in front of you. And just the, the artistry is remarkable. The Toronto audience is going to be the very first audience outside of Japan to see this film at its international premiere on our opening night. Wow, that's going to be Dick's the musical with not one, but two Megans. <laughs> yeah, another Midnight Madness film. I can see where your taste are leading. That's kind of cool. Uh, Dick's the Musical is a new film by Larry Charles, who um, who we will know from the series and the movies he's been, he's been involved in over many years. And it is literally a musical that is outrageous and raunchy and wild and not for the faint of heart, I would say. Larry Charles was in Toronto at Midnight Madness the night that Borat premiered. And if you were there, you know this tale at the Borat premiere. There was a technical problem. The film was delayed. Uh, Michael Moore and Larry Charles and Sasha Baron Cohen just got into, into entertaining the audience. Uh, and so Midnight Madness uh, regulars know Larry Charles and, and just, you know, how hilarious and uh, just, you know, uh, wild he can be both in terms of his on-screen work and in the room. So this is going to be a great opening for Midnight Madness. And of course, the two Megans will be Megan Mullally and Megan the Stallion. That's right. Who yeah. doesn't live a great Nick Cage movie, Dream Scenario? Yeah, and Dream Scenario is opening the platform competition section at the festival. Um, this is a... Um, well, it's called Dream Scenario, and it stars Nicolas Cage. And if you know Nick Cage's work, and he can be quite wild himself, I think I would just leave it at that. But uh, it's a remarkable, uh, really inventive fantasy story, in a way, with Nick Cage giving one of his best performances. If you saw, you know Nick Cage can do just about anything on screen. And a movie like Pig showed the dramatic range of what he can do. But he's also just known for these great gonzo performances on screen as well. This is a little bit of a mix of the two, I would say. Uh, this is one of those independent films that has that interim agreement from SAG-AFTRA. So Nick Cage uh, has confirmed attendance at the festival. That is great news. I love movies that steal from the headlines. The GameStop story is covered in Dumb Money. Dumb Money is a terrific satire based on a completely true but completely wild story. Uh, this happened during the pandemic, and you might have been following the whole meme stock uh, phenomenon of uh, small kind of fringe stocks in a way on the uh, the stock market in the U.S., that were suddenly just um, just you know uh, goosed up the uh, the charts in terms of their value by groups of investors, what are called retail investors, people who don't work on Wall Street but are just in their basements, often on their computers all day, trading stocks and trading ideas, and they decided that this video game store, GameStop, deserved that treatment, and it's what happened when they went up against the big power players on Wall Street and actually turn a penny stock into something of real value that was worth millions of dollars. This is an incredible story, great cast that uh, includes Paul Dano and uh, Seth Rogen and many others. Now, Cameron, you and I are of the same vintage, so I know that we're both going to be lined up to see Mr. Dressup, The Magic of Make-Believe. 
Oh, this is just a beautiful, beautiful film. Yeah, I mean, if uh, I think almost any generation over the last um, a few decades would have known, in some cases, grown up with Mr. Dress Up, whether it was at a, as a child yourself or as a parent with your own kids. And just the magic of um, that phenomenon and those characters that really brought kids' imaginations to life, that's the story of this documentary. Um, and there's been other documentaries recently about uh, Sesame Street or Mr. Rogers, and it has some of that character in terms of beyond just entertaining kids, how these shows really helped set a worldview for kids that was about compassion and empathy and just being a good person in the world. So there's that here, but this was all Canadian, and uh, and that's part of it too. That the 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 Mr. Dressup phenomenon really seemed to embody the best of Canadian ideals as well. I think any Ernie Coombs documentary is going to be a big win. There is a movie that's been described as Ted Lasso with an Asia Pacific spin. Next goal wins. <laughs> yeah, and this is from Taika Waititi, the New Zealand uh, kind of trickster jokester he's hilarious he's done of course marvel movies with the thor uh series uh but also made some remarkable really heartwarming comedies in new zealand like hunt for the wilder people and and others as well boy is another one and uh this is the based again on a true story of the soccer team from american samoa that was just awful they they were probably the worst uh, national soccer team in the world. They had one loss to the Australian team, uh, 31 to zero, I think was the, uh, the score. But they they had a lot of ambition, a lot of hope, and it's about how they began to, to fight back from that really low position. And a remarkable cast of characters uh, on the team as well, including a trans woman character who was part of the, the, the American Samoan team. It's delightful. It's really just a lovely story. Very funny. And from the mind of Taika Waititi. Cameron, I got one more I want to ask you about. Quiz Lady with Sandra Oh and Aquafina. Yeah, this is also a comedy. Uh, and we, we found this in the course of our submission sometime in the early summer. I think in, in June we saw it. And it was just a really delightful break from the very serious, very arty movies we were watching. Sandra O oh and Aquafina play sisters, uh, but very different sisters. Aquafina is a very buttoned-down person who has an office job, and her only pleasure is watching a game show every evening at exactly the same time. She always is there to tune in, and she plays along at home. It's kind of like a Jeopardy-style quiz show. And her sister, played by Sandra O, oh, is just a wild, chaotic, out-of-control person who uh, decides that she wants to loosen up her very buttoned-down sister by having her participate in this game show. And the host in the game show is played by Will Ferrell, and he's hilarious as well. So it's about essentially a road trip where these two sisters set out to uh, get onto this game show so they can win some much-needed money. And you've got this this kind of oil-and-water couple in Sandra O oh and Aquafina's characters. It's very funny. But in the end, I think it has a lot to say about family and about sisterhood as well. So it has that that really kind of heartwarming vibe as well. That's great. Now, screening attendance last year topped out at 275,000 people, which is an incredible number. What are your expectations for this year's festival? Do you kind of track or have an objective in, in terms of that metric? Well, you know, yeah, last year was a great success for us in terms of return from the pandemic years, which were reduced in terms of our attendance and our programming. Um, 
We're looking to be on track with that number that we reached last year. So far, in terms of what ticket sales are telling us, we are on track to do that. The festival is roughly the same size as last year with roughly the same number of screenings. So it should be around the same. And we're excited that we have Festival Street coming back as well. So in addition to that 275,000, there are hundreds of thousands of more who will come down just to hang out. There's lots of great activations on the street and to be a part of the festival. Well, on that note, of course, even if you are not attending an actual film presentation, how can you still get involved and have fun at TIFF? There are lots of different ways. Uh, in addition to all of the screenings, we have talks that we do. We, we've got an in-conversation with series that includes people like Sylvester Stallone this year and Pedro Almodovar, the great Spanish filmmaker, Lee Byung-hun and Park uh, Seo-joon, the Korean megastars, uh, all doing conversations, and those will... Uh, be available online as well after their um, their their live uh, presentation at Tip Bell Lightbox. We did that last year with Taylor Swift. Uh, we put that conversation online as well. So if you're taking part from home, you can always do that. You can also come down to Festival Street, first four days of the festival, the Thursday through Sunday night, lots of different activities, including a music stage uh, where we will have artists like Nickelback playing live uh, for free uh, outdoors on Festival Street. So we're looking forward to things like that as well. In addition to that, we have every night that Festival Street is on, we've got um, free screenings in the uh, David Pico Square right downtown as well. In fact, that goes through the festival. Well, obviously the films are number one, but number two has to be the celebrities. You've alluded to a few of them, Cameron, but let's do some name dropping. I get the sense this year we're going to see more directors, more documentary talent, more musical talent. Drop some names. <laughs> yeah, well, so, you know, we have uh, the premiere of the new IMAX version of Talking Heads' classic documentary, Stop Making Sense. Talking Heads is a band that were seminal in the 1980s and 90s, and many of us grew up with their music. They split up. Uh, there, I think, were some, you know, uh, maybe some uh, some issues between band members. They haven't gotten back together since. They will be reuniting for a Q&A at the uh, the IMAX screening of Ta uh, Stop Making Sense, that Q&A will be moderated by Spike Lee. And of course, Spike and David Byrne from Talking Heads worked together on um, the opening night film we had in 2020, American Utopia. So they'll be re reuniting for that as well. Other music stars coming into town, Paul Simon for his documentary in Restless Dreams. It's a great, deep immersion into the work of one of the greatest singer-songwriters in American music. He will be here for that. Uh, Lil Nas X on the other end of the music spectrum, very contemporary, very young. I don't think he's 25 years old yet, but has really already just been such a groundbreaker uh, in in pop music and and uh, and just in terms of just pre presenting a, a proudly queer presence in the middle of pop music. And so he'll be here for his documentary, Long Live Montero. Uh, we have many others as well. I think I mentioned Sly Stallone for our closing night gala. Selma Hayek, producer of this great Mexican film called El Sabor de la Navidad. Uh, Sean Penn and Dakota Johnson. Uh, Vigo Mortensen and Vicky Creeps. Vigo and, and Vicky's co-star in a movie called The Dead Don't Hurt. Vigo also directed that film as well. So we have a lot of actors uh, also directing Patricia Arquette directed a film called Gonzo Girl, which stars Willem Dafoe, and she's a co-star in that. They'll be here. Uh, many, many others. Ethan Hawke directed his daughter, Maya Hawke, in a film called Wildcat, and they'll both be here for that as well. And the list goes on. Well, judge me as you will, Camden, but I am most excited for Sylvester Stallone 
And I have to ask you, as he had a history with the festival and maybe take us behind the scenes, how do you go about getting him to commit to coming to Toronto and, and making an appearance? Because that's, that's a huge thing. Yeah, no, in my recollection, he has not attended the festival. He has made some films outside of his big franchises. And the one that I really love, and if people remember a movie called Copland, one of the best movies he ever made. And the documentary is about his career going back to the Lords of Flatbush and even before and, you know, this is a film that uh, the, um, the the producers and distributors came to us with. We saw it. I gained so much new knowledge about Sylvester Stallone from watching this doc. It's called Sly. And um, also from just understanding that he sees himself primarily as a writer. He's, of course, he's an iconic movie star, but he wrote those roles. He wrote his iconic star status into existence, you know, and that's really one of the most impressive things so we're thrilled to have him here as well and um and you know there there are many many others who have stories that are as strong if you're enjoying this Toronto legends interview with cameron bailey please check out the more than 150 additional episodes available anytime we got richard kraus terry o'reilly steve simmons Raina duras and michael landsberg how they did it directly from the toronto legends themselves all episodes available 24-7-365, wherever you get your podcasts. I want to ask you about the role that social media plays. We know that the celebrities use social media, and we know that the fans from the general public use social media. How does TIFF itself embrace and leverage social media? Well, TIFF has a terrific social media team led by Jason Carlos, and they're just doing wonderful work across all of the key social media platforms to engage our audience, to start conversations with them, uh, to dig into the the excitement around the festival and around our programming year-round as well, but also to generate debate, to reflect our own values as well. We're interested in how film can continue to be a transformative medium and help people expand their views of the world. All of that happens online through social media. We want to reach people where they are, which is mostly on our phones these days. And then it's also very international. It's a way for us to reach across the world very quickly. So we have three galas coming from South Korea this year with some of the biggest stars in the world. We've got Andy Lau, massive Hong Kong star, coming for his film, The Movie Emperor. And they have massive social media followings of their own. And when we engage with them, then we can also reach fans, not just in Toronto or in Canada, but all across the planet. I have to ask if you needed to be dragged kicking and screaming into the world of social media, or do you have mad skills already with your thumb and <laughs> filters and shooting angles? No, I mean, look, I, I, I'm not good with the angles and all of that, but I will say Twitter for a long time was my medium. I'm not really, you know, I haven't made the transition to calling an X yet, but um, that I, I, that I was a fairly early adopter. I think 2009 was when I uh, started on Twitter, loved it for a long time. It, in my view, it did. it's not what it used to be. Uh, as a as a sort of more positive area to where you can exchange ideas and and thoughts with people, um, I'm now doing a little bit more of other other platforms like Instagram. But um, but I I think it's a great way to connect with people, and certainly when you've got a story you want to tell, that's where you can tell it. And like me, you got a teen at home, if I'm not mistaken. So hopefully that helps you sharpen your skills. Yeah, he's he's showing me the TikToks and the snaps and all of that as well. So I'm I have some vague familiarity through him. Now, the average person sees TIFF as a glamorous, exciting, big party, but there's also a lot of actual work and commerce getting done during the festival. What kind of business activities would typically take place during the Film Fest? Well, tens of millions of dollars are, are 
traded uh, in sales uh, at the festival every year. We have what's called an informal market, meaning we're not set up as a formal market like the Cannes and uh, Berlin Film Festivals have. But that is really where there's a lot of new momentum. Um, more and more companies are coming to Toronto every year to to sell their wares. And those might be completed films that are in official selection. They might be completed films that we're presenting in market screening. So there's more and more opportunities to do that outside of official selection, but also projects. So someone might come with a script and maybe there's an actor or a director attached and they want to make the movie, but they're looking for financing. Those meetings and those deals also take place at the festival um, and they happen uh, often in the uh, the hotel suites in our industry center uh, at the Hyde Regency Hotel and other places as well. But uh, what we're seeing is that there's more and more of an appetite. And also that's grown up alongside the fact that Toronto and Ontario and Canada have become real hubs internationally. You see series like Schitt's Creek and others selling uh, to Netflix and then being available everywhere. Some of that's also happening. So we're now looking at ways that we can grow the business platform for uh, the the marketplace activity, uh, offer more ap- opportunities to Canadian storytellers, and to to really invite more of the world to town. Right now, we've got about five thousand industry delegates that register with us every year. I think with the right growth, we could easily double that and just be a much bigger opportunity for the buying and selling of movies. It's amazing when you think of the growth from nineteen seventy six festival festivals to today. It really is staggering. Cameron, you yourself are now part of the Oscars. As in June 2021, you were invited to be a voting member of the Academy. What are your responsibilities with regards to this role and and how does it impact your role at TIFF? Well, the two are kind of um, symbiotic in a way. Because of my role at TIFF, I'm often seeing films earlier before other Academy uh, members are seeing them. They often see them for the first time at festivals like ours. Uh, and so I have an early sense of some of what might become the Oscar contenders uh, for nominations and then for eventual awards. And that that helps just inform what I'm saying to some of my fellow uh, Academy members and also just trying to raise awareness of films that might not be obvious. And, and that's one of the most exciting things about the Oscars these days is it's not just the obvious contenders that can be really strong um, nominees and and uh, eventual winners. So films uh, like Nomadland or Parasite or Coda came out of you know seeming obscurity uh, compared to some of the bigger name films to to really win big. And those films tend to launch at film festivals. So there is that really nice um, partnership that's happening. We so we welcome Oscar voters and members uh, to our festival every year. We're not going to be doing a, a formal event this year, but we know they'll be here watching films. Uh, and we think that we want to continue providing a platform so that the films that are the most deserving of further attention in awards season can be found. And those are often the international films, which I'm especially excited about, but also documentaries, short films, every category. You'll see, you'll find films at our festival that you'll then see in the nominees list uh, in January. I always think of Cameron as a swan. So graceful on top, but you got your your legs furiously <laughs> paddling underneath. What will you be doing on Monday, September 18th, the day after the festival closes? You know, having done this job for many years now, I've grown to really love the early fall in Canada. Uh, I find it's just such a beautiful season. So I'm I go quiet a little bit. You know, I take walks or I take drives or I ride my bike and I just explore the city. 
I'll sometimes get out of town, just walk in nature. And doing that in late September is just one of the most beautiful things. You know, it's not as hot. The bugs are mostly gone, but you get to really experience the beauty all around you. So I, you know, I spend a lot of time leading up to the festival being very social and being in touch with hundreds of people on a weekly basis. And right after the festival, I like to just chill. I can picture just unplug. After all the excitement of this year's TIFF, post-festival, what will you be working on for the remainder of 2023? Oh, well, we have a really exciting fall season uh, lined up, and some of that's been announced already, and some of that's still to come. So we've got some new uh, things happening at TIFF Bell Lightbox in Toronto. We have a new third floor, which will be uh, revealing to people during the festival and then, then doing an official launch in early October. So stay tuned for more about that. But we have a new cafe bar that we we're, we're going to be opening up to everybody come October 6th. It's called Varda, named after the great French filmmaker Agnes Varda. And I can't wait for people to see that. That's great. Now, we haven't even enjoyed the 2023 festival yet, but I am curious about your annual business cycle. I'd like to know, how soon do you start planning the 2024 edition of TIMF? Well, we never stop planning. So there's there's this kind of a cycle where some of the, the longer lead things we need to do in terms of what venues we will use and just the size and scope of the festival that we're doing all year round. Uh, and then some of the other elements um, will wait until post uh, this year's festival and then into early next year. We typically don't start watching films, I would say. We can start sometimes as early as December. That's been known to happen. But I'd say the the, the prime screening of films for next year's lineup begins to happen around uh, March and April. Great. Well, I have to ask, you've met so many celebrities over all your years, but is there someone you're really keen to meet at this year's edition? Well, I would say that I have uh, been fortunate enough to have um, welcomed and hosted Viggo Mortensen here at the festival over a number of years and gotten to know him. And he's just the loveliest guy. And the fact that we have the world premiere of his new film, The Dead Don't Hurt, that's been really great. So I'm looking forward to reconnecting with Vigo. Uh, there are many others uh, who will be coming to town as well. Salma Hayek, I think, is also somebody who's always you know, got this great energy to her and the fact that she's producing films in her native Mexico in addition to all the on-screen work she's doing. I'm excited by that. That's great. Well, as we close up, where can we best follow everything going on at TIFF from September 7th to 17th? And where can we follow you? <laughs> uh, you can follow everything to do with TIFF at um, tiff.net online. All the information's there. What films still have tickets available, that's all there and all of the events that are going on as well. And I am uh, Cameron, uh, at Cameron underscore Tiff uh, on X. Getting used to it. Excellent. Well, I want to thank you for your time. I think you do such a great job for the festival. I think you do such a great job for the city. So it's really great of you to make time and to catch up. And I want to wish you a great festival. Thank you, Andrew. I really appreciate the interest and it's always good to talk with you. My pleasure. And to the listeners, on behalf of Cameron Bailey, I am Andrew Applebaum saying thanks for listening to this episode of the Toronto Legends Podcast.
looking to make the most out of this life and optimize your personal wellness? Then check out the Natural Man podcast. Join me, host Mike C., as we explore all areas of human wellness, physical, mental, and emotional. Learn strategies to optimize your own well-being and be in the driver's seat of your own health. Remember, your doctor works for you. Learn biohacks, neurohacks, ways to improve sleep, and ways to optimize your body and your mind. Check us out on Apple, Spotify, the Fountain app, and at naturalmanpodcast.com. I'm Andrea Askowitz. And I'm Allison Langer. And we are the hosts of Writing Class Radio, a podcast, but we are so much more. We have writing classes. So if you are looking for live online classes where you can join a community, write to a prompt, get feedback, and get better, check out all our classes at writingclassradio.com. And listen to our podcast wherever you get your podcasts and at writingclassradio.com.